When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome back. We're going to talk about keeping patients safe. On November the 3rd, 2009, MedPage reported that a Rhode Island hospital located in Providence had to pay $150,000 and install video cameras in all of its operating rooms after performing its fifth wrong site surgery since 2007. Again, that's just over a two-year period, and this is according to the state's Department of Health. And then in Texas, Dr. Christopher Dunt's story is the stuff of nightmares. Over two years, this Dallas neurosurgeon performed surgery on 38 patients, injuring 33 of them and actually killing two of them. After fellow doctors brought his unheard of errors to light, like poking holes into the base of a spinal column, removing a nerve root, and losing hardware inside a patient's body, he was sentenced to life in prison. One of the first doctors in the country criminally convicted for how he practiced medicine. What? That's insane, right? But these are strange outliers, right? Well, yep, it actually happened, and thankfully, yes, these are outliers, but patient errors do happen. Patient safety is a healthcare discipline that emphasizes the reporting, analysis, and prevention of medical errors that often lead to adverse healthcare events. Patient safety, we all know that this is the first do no harm adage, right? But it's much more than that old saying. When we talk about patient safety, we're really talking about how hospitals and other healthcare organizations protect their patients from errors, injuries, accidents, and even infections. Although the idea of medical mistakes has been long known, the modern literature began with a famous 1956 New England Journal of Medicine paper discussing disease of medical progress. Yet despite research that continued to document frequent episodes of preventable harm in hospitalized patients, the safety field remained small and relatively ignored until the 1990s. The 1994 publication of the seminal commentary, Error in Medicine, highlighted the issue and presented a framework for error analysis and prevention that is still used today. Then, in 1999, came the Institute of Medicine's report to Air is Human. This famously estimated that 44,000 to 98,000 of Americans actually die each year due to preventable medical harm. Okay, according to the National Quality Forum, listen to these statistics. As many as 44,000 people die every year from hospital errors, injuries, accidents, and infection. Every year, one out of every 25 patients develops an infection while in the hospital, an infection that didn't have to happen. And a Medicare patient has a 1 in 4 chance of experiencing injury, harm, or death when admitted to a hospital. Today alone, more than 1,000 people will die because of a preventable hospital error. 
And finally, there's the issue of wrong site surgery and its derivatives. Wrong patient, wrong site, and wrong procedure errors are all considered never events by the National Quality Forum and are considered sentinel events by the Joint Commission. The incidence of wrong site surgery has been estimated at one out of 112,000 procedures. However, the number of unreported cases is estimated to be much higher than that. Risk factors for wrong site surgery include time pressures, emergency procedures, multiple procedures on the same patient by different surgeons, and patient obesity. Thankfully, these are still infrequent events, but they still definitely occur. We have to make the distinction between safety and quality. Here, we can highlight three main distinctions. First, safety has to do with lack of harm, while quality has to do with efficient, effective, purposeful care that gets the job done at the right time. Next, safety focuses on avoiding bad events. Quality focuses on doing things well. And lastly, safety makes it less likely that mistakes happen while quality raises the ceiling so that the overall care experience is a better one. Keeping patients safe should always be front and center in our minds. And remember, when a patient is harmed in some way at the hands of a healthcare team, not only is the patient affected, but the providers are impacted as well. Healthcare professionals experience profound psychological effects like anger, guilt, inadequacy, depression, and even suicide due to real or perceived errors. The threat of impending legal action may compound these feelings. This can also lead to a loss of clinical confidence. Clinicians equate errors with failure, with the breach of public trust, and with harming patients despite their mandate to first do no harm. So, this is a heavy burden to carry for both patients and healthcare providers. That's why medical students and residents receive training on team steps. It has been well documented that communication breakdowns among the healthcare team is a major cause of preventable errors. So, actions like the S-bar, repeat back communications, and stop the line verbal cues are vital as they keep us on our toes and alert to prevent errors. Now, regarding patient safety, I think it's helpful to explain two concepts here that all future residents and even attendings have to understand, and these are never events and sentinel events. The term never event was first introduced in 2001 by Ken Kaiser, MD, formerly CEO of the National Quality Forum, and this was in reference to particularly shocking medical errors like wrong site surgery that should never occur. Over time, the term's use has expanded to signify adverse events that are unambiguous. In other words, they're clearly identifiable and measurable and that are serious, resulting in death or significant disability and that are usually preventable. Examples of never events include artificial insemination with the incorrect donor sperm or wrong egg, surgery on the wrong body part, a foreign body left in a patient after surgery or delivery, a severe pressure ulcer acquired in the hospital, or mismatched blood transfusion. These events should never occur. Now, let's cover sentinel events because it is intimately related to these never events. 
all never events are sentinel events, but not all sentinel events are never events. The Joint Commission has recommended that hospitals report sentinel events since 1995. Sentinel events are defined as an unexpected occurrence involving death or serious physiological or psychological injury or that have the risk thereof. The Joint Commission mandates performance of a root cause analysis after a sentinel event. Examples of sentinel events include patient suicide, a patient fall-related event, a delay in treatment, a medication error, rape, or assault of any patient receiving medical care, the unanticipated death of a full-term infant, the abduction of any patient receiving care or treatment, and discharge of an infant to the wrong family. Ah, but as they say in late-night infomercials, but wait, there's more. Let's get back to that after the break. Then there is the issue of a near miss. This is an unsafe situation that is indistinguishable from a preventable adverse event except for the outcome. A patient is exposed to a hazardous situation but does not actually experience harm through either luck or early detection. And I like the WHO definition. The WHO defines a near miss as an error that has the potential to cause an adverse event like patient harm but fails to do so because of chance or because it was intercepted in time. The good news is that we can use various strategies to help keep patients safe so that we don't have a never event, a sentinel event, or a near miss. Preventable errors can happen in the OR setting and outside of the OR, so let's first review important issues on keeping patients safe in the operating room. In 2003, the Joint Commission published Universal Protocol for Preventing Wrong Site, Wrong Procedure, and Wrong Person Surgery. The Universal Protocol, now included in the chapter on National Patient Safety Goals in the Joint Commission's Accreditation Manual, involves the completion of three principal components before initiation of any surgical procedure. The main areas of focus are pre-procedure verification process, second is marking the operative site, and three is performing the timeout before the procedure. Now, distractions in the OR are yet another problem. Beepers, radios, telephone calls, and other potential non-essential activities and distractions in the surgical environment should be kept to a minimum, if allowed at all, especially during critical stages of any operation. Just as pilots maintain, quote, sterile cockpits, a Federation Aviation Administration regulation requires pilots to refrain from non-essential activities during critical parts of a flight. All members of the operating room should also postpone non-essential conversations until the surgery is completed. Additionally, protocols to prevent unintentional retention of foreign objects during surgery and vaginal delivery have been developed. Remember that the retained surgical item is called a gossy feboma. Now, for example, regarding these protocols, the Institute for Clinical Systems Improvement has a protocol and it suggests that sponges, needles, and sharp instruments, of course, be counted before and after surgery and vaginal delivery. Only radio-opaque sponges and soft goods should be placed on surgical trays or the delivery field. If the counts at the end of the case are either incorrect or compromised, then an abdominal or vaginal examination must be performed. And if the counts are still not reconciled, then radiographic imaging for retained foreign objects must be obtained. 
All right, everyone, as we wrap up the podcast, remember that in general, both in and out of the OR, the following are key. We must have proper team communication. We must have medication identification and dose verification. We must include proper hand washing, implementation of strategies to prevent patient falls, and last but definitely not least, recognition of our own fatigue, both physical and mental. These are all ways that we can be aware of and techniques that we can use to help prevent patient harm. Data for this podcast was taken from the Agency for Healthcare Quality and Research, the National Quality Forum, as well as the American College of OBGYN.